How many of you know for sure that when the Lord returns, whether it's before you die or after, how many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to rise? Raise your hand. Amen. If you don't have that assurance, you can. You can. I'm going to speak this morning on engage assurance. Engage assurance. And the issue is, is it possible to know for sure that heaven is your home? Is it possible to know for sure that heaven is your home? It is possible. First John 5.13, But these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. But you know that there are a lot of people who are not sure. There are a lot of Christians, people who name the name of Christ, and they're not sure. And I know that sometimes we think, well, that's churches that have different doctrine. You know, the doctrine in some churches is that you can lose your salvation. We may talk to that, address that in a few minutes. We'll see. But, and, but this church doesn't teach that. You would not get that here. And yet there are people that attend churches like this that still struggle with the assurance of their salvation. I'm going to look at some reasons for that this morning, and then we're going to look at the Scriptures and look at some things that we can know. So open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter, the book of 2 Peter. And when you get there, 2 Peter chapter 1, then we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your Word Lord, uh, as Patrick has already said, thank you for the life that was Bob Maxwell. Um, this church, Grace Baptist Church, would not be what it is without him. And Lord, we, you worked through him in such a great way. Uh, and those, there are those who have come after who didn't get the opportunity to know him, who really do owe a debt to him and those others, Pete Lime and those others who came before. And Lord, we are very thankful for the godly heritage that you've given us here at this church. But Lord, we don't come to a place like this to venerate, law, to venerate believers who have gone on to be with you. We come here to venerate you. And Lord, we are so thankful for what you've done in the lives of sinners And Lord, today I hope that some folks will get either assurance of salvation or maybe someone will come to know you as their Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Have you ever wondered if all of this is real? You know, I know that for for young people, and I want to say this, I, I talk to you guys a lot, and that's why I have you right here so I can talk to you a lot and I don't forget. I, I, if something's not in front of me, it doesn't exist. It's unbelievable. Everywhere, you know, God has given me the opportunity to travel some. I leave something everywhere I go. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. So we have the young people right here in front of me so I can remember to speak to you. But something that I sometimes forget to say to you is how proud I am of you. I am so very thankful that you are being raised in homes where your folks love the Lord. Those of you who come from a home where your parents aren't saved yet, you're faithful to church and you're, you're growing in the Lord yourself and you're being instructed by godly people here and in other places. I'm very proud of you. And I'm thankful for the stand that you all take. 
I'm thankful that when you go to school, you represent Jesus Christ. I'm very thankful for that. But I can tell you this, as a young person, here's what's going to happen. At some point, some of you will say, I know that my dad has told me this. I know that my mom has told me this. My grandparents, my aunts or uncles, I know they have told me this, and I love them and trust them. But is this real? All this stuff that other people are relying on, is it really true? Now, how many of you grew up in a Christian home, but at some point you had those questions? Would you raise your hand? Now, hold them up real high, and then you young people look around. I want you to see this. Look around. You're not the only ones. I think that, that basic, some people, they, they find a simple faith and trust, and they never struggle with it ever again. That's awesome. And that's not a matter of intelligence. There are brilliant people who are that way. There are less brilliant people who are that way. Brilliant people who struggle with their faith and less brilliant people who struggle with their faith. It doesn't have anything to do with intellect. It's just God gives some people a strong faith from the beginning. Others, we vacillate. I know that I have asked, is this true? Is this true? Because I'm a skeptic. That's my nature. I'm a skeptic. I want to know if you tell me the sun's going to rise in the east, really, I'd better get up. Now, some of you have never actually seen that, but <laughs> my friend Dalton, I guarantee you, he's only seen it from the other side, if that's the case. He doesn't get up early. But I am thankful that even though there have been times of questioning in my life, that there is an answer to whatever question I have had or that you might have, and that the Bible tells us that there are some things that we can know. Now, this message is going to be a little backwards. We're going to deal with some other things, and then we're going to go to the Scriptures, which is the reverse of what we normally do. But let's, let's ask this question first. Why do some Christians lack assurance? First, some, when continually confronted with the law of God, are painfully aware of their own failings. Any of you, you're that way? You know, it's interesting. I know that, that especially as I was younger, that I wanted to make sure that everybody understood how sinful they are. And I think that's probably true of most young preachers. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that there are a lot of people that that's all they're aware of that the only thing that they ever see in their own lives is their own weaknesses, their own failings, their own sin. You, if that is you, you need to be aware of God's marvelous, amazing grace. That none of us are worthy of salvation. None of us are worthy of heaven. None of us are. That's why God's salvation is so amazing. I love what the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, he proved, he showed himself toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jesus didn't need to die for, un, for, for perfect people. He had to die because there aren't any perfect people. He was the only one. That's why he had to die. And so I think many people struggle with the assurance of their salvation because when they read the Scriptures or they hear Bible preaching, they're confronted with their own weakness, with their own failings. And I'm sure that there are people in this room like that. Second, some people feel that they are too sinful to be saved. 
They think that they're, that they're past accepting forgiveness. You know what I love? When you look at the, at the implements of the temple or the tabernacle, each and every one of those pieces of furniture, whether it's a, a candlestick or an altar or the curtain, they all had specific dimensions that God said, I want you to make them this size. Well, there was the laver. The laver was a, a big bowl, and it was for the ceremonial cleansing of the priests. That didn't have any dimensions. You know why? Because God's cleansing is limitless. It's infinite. It doesn't matter how sinful you have been. Jesus Christ's blood can wash away your sin completely. He can make you completely clean. There are some people that doubt whether or not they can ever even be saved because of their awareness of their sinful condition. I was in um, Ireland uh, preaching for Jerome Pittman. And we had gone to this bed and breakfast where I was staying and this little Irish lady was there that Jerome had given the gospel to before. And there was a little TV about this big in the corner of my room. And the lady said, did you see this? The Pope died. And I said, no, I, I hadn't seen it. John Paul II had died that day. And she said, oh, if any man could ever go to heaven, it was him. And I said, you can go to heaven. You can go to heaven. And she said, oh, I could never go. I could never go. And I gave her the gospel. And she said, oh, I know, but it's not for me. You don't know what I've done. You know, there are people... Is that the saddest thing you've ever heard? There are people who feel that way. That because of their own life, because they recognize their own sinfulness, they don't think that they could ever be saved. That forgiveness is not for them. There's basically two reasons for that. First, the human conscience can be relentless. The conscience can be relentless. Now, people who don't have a conscience, we call those sociopaths, all right? The rest of us, we struggle with things that we've done. Have you ever said something to your wife and then later on that day it came to you what you had said and you just feel terrible that you had said something like that or said something in that way or something that you've said to your husband or to your parents or to a friend, uh, your conscience? I'll tell you this. Look at, we're going to go through the Scriptures. I want us to just look at some verses as we go through this. Look at Psalm 58.3, Psalm 58.3, the Bible says, the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies, that's the way the Bible describes people, how many of you feel better already? This is the way that the Bible describes people. And there are, for some people, they can look at that and they can say, okay, that's true, I need to be saved. And there's no tears shed. It's just, okay, there's a statement of reality. This is a fact. I recognize that in me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being willing to save someone like me. And praise God. There are people that are like that. There are other people that look at that and they say, well, I'm not wicked. There's nothing wrong with me. I've only had one person in my life tell me that they had never sinned. That was a... And honestly, it takes a lot to get me speechless. 
I didn't know what to say to that. I didn't have any idea what to say to that. But everyone else pretty much recognizes that they're sinful. But there are some people that recognize they're sinful but don't think that they need to do anything about it. Others are so aware of their sinfulness they don't think that there's any hope for them. Do you realize both of those people are wrong? If you're sinful, you need a Savior because judgment is coming. Is that right? Judgment is coming. The God, the same God who is love, that same God is also just. And His righteousness, His holiness demands justice. That's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. That's awesome. What a wonderful story that is. And it's not a story in the sense of a fable, but what a, what a wonderful reality that is. And so if you recognize your sinfulness, but you don't think that you need a Savior, you're wrong. And you're not promised tomorrow. What is life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Those, those young ladies who were, I think it was a softball team uh, in Texas, they were just coming home from a scrimmage. And a semi came across the road and killed seven of them yesterday. What, can you imagine, I was praying for them this morning, for their families. Can you imagine what's going on in those homes today? Those people, th those young ladies, they were expecting to do something else today. They didn't get that. So folks who, are not, who don't think that they need a Savior, you do. Because the Bible says, and as it is appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And yet there are other people that are so, so aware of your sinful condition that you don't think that you can ever be saved. Years ago when I was at Bible Baptist in Stillwater with Ron Jones, um, we had a men's retreat. And we had, I don't know, seven or 800 men come in for this retreat. And after one of the sermons, I was in the back of the auditorium. I was sitting on the back row. And I saw a man in front of me. He looked to be in his 70s. And he was just weeping. And so I went and offered to pray with him, and I said, are you saved? He said, no. I said, well, would you like to get saved? And he said, I can't. You don't know what I've done. I can't. You don't know what I've done. The sad thing about that is he doesn't know how wonderful God's grace is. The thing that we, <laughs> those who struggle so much with the weight of our own sin, we need to recognize how fantastic and amazing God's grace is. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as wool. Though they be as red as crimson, they can be as, they can be as white as snow. That's God's wonderful, wonderful grace. So there are people that, that struggle with assurance because they don't, either they don't think they can be saved or they need to be saved or that God's grace isn't great enough. Third, some don't accurately comprehend the gospel. This is what I was mentioning before. Um, uh, I remember there was a, a wonderful godly lady who, and, and everyone knew that she was a believer, and she had a tremendous testimony, who was afraid to die. It was at the end of her life, and she was in, in fits, uh, restlessness, because she didn't know if she had some unconfessed sin in her life. You know, there are people who go through their entire lives worried that there's some sin in their life that is unconfessed and so they can't go to heaven. That, that there are people that there are people today, there might be someone in the room like this 
And to you, I, I always say this, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Can I promise you something? I promise you, Patrick, you have unconfessed sin in your life. I promise you. Heather told me. (laughs) The thing about that theology, this theology that you cooperate with God in your salvation, that imagines there is something good enough in me that God needs to accomplish my salvation. The idea, what we need to understand is the Bible says, For as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. What that means is in my, in my DNA, in every cell of my body, there is sin. In me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. So how can something where there is nothing good, how can that contribute to my salvation? How many of you recognize that, how impossible that is? It is just impossible. And so some people struggle with the assurance of their salvation because they think they have to somehow cooperate with God throughout their life in order to be able to go to heaven. Can I tell you this? Luke, there is nothing you can do to help God save you. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to save you completely. To sa- I like the Bible says, he saves them to the uttermost. Those who come to him, he saves them to the uttermost. God doesn't need your help. All you do is receive the gift of eternal life that he has offered to you. Why do people struggle with assurance? Because they have a wrong understanding of the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Why did Jesus die? Because of my sins. That's because I'm a sinner. The fact that I'm a sinner makes me inadequate to provide for my own salvation. That's why I have to have a savior. And so I think the reason that people, one of the reasons that people struggle is a wrong understanding of the gospel. The gospel is received. The gospel is not earned. What you get for what you do is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the reason that some people struggle, another reason that some people struggle, is because they have a wrong understanding of the gospel. Um, Next, another reason some people struggle is they feel the strong influence of their flesh or their humanness. And, and so here's what happens. You know, you know the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new, or all things become new. Which one is it? Made new? Made new. Um, you don't know, do you? I'm very upset. Look. When I got saved, Jesus Christ made me new. When you got saved, Jesus Christ made you new. You're a new creature. How many of you agree with that? Amen. Amen. And so what happens is those of us who grew up in legalistic churches, okay, and some of you did, some of you didn't. Um, How many of you ever heard someone say like this, a Christian would never dress like that? A Christian would never say that. When Ron Jones last week said he would have saved a lot of cussing, 
there were some folks that were going, I can't, a preacher wouldn't cuss? Apparently you never met John Rawlings, but anyway, there's a little preacher that used to cuss a lot. Um, it, the, the issue is that statement, a Christian would never do that, may be one of the most unbiblical statements ever made. Because as a Christian, I am simply a sinner who has been saved. When I walk in the Spirit, when I walk in the Spirit, my new nature does not sin. My flesh can only sin. And so if I yield to my flesh, I am capable of doing anything that any lost person could do. That's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, not to walk as the Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. Emptiness, blankness, dumbness. Don't walk like a dumb Gentile. That's what God says. Why? Because as a believer, you can walk like a dumb Gentile. Is that right? That's why the Bible says that. And so what happens, the reason some people struggle with assurance is let's say that you struggled with alcoholism and you get saved. Well, your body still wants the alcohol. Now, praise God, some people God delivers from that just like that. Others, He doesn't. Whose business is that? That's God's business. Why did He do that? I don't have any idea, but I know that He's right and just. Amen? And so, if you struggle with alcohol and you get saved and you still struggle with alcohol, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. That means you're still in your old body and that you really need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome that. Is that right? And so, that's, that's what we need to get. When you get saved, you still have your old mind. You still have your old body. You still have your old desires. When you get saved, God will give you new desires. He will give you the mind of Christ. But those others still exist until you die or until Jesus Christ returns and we're raptured and we become like Him. But we're not like Him yet. And so some people struggle with their assurance because they still have that the, the sins of their flesh. Next reason some people lack assurance is because they fail to see God's hands or God's hand in their trials. God would never do this to someone that He loves. God would never allow this suffering. You have a loved one who who dies. You have sickness that comes into your life. You have financial trouble. You have relationship trouble. And you say, well, if I was saved, if there really is a God, He wouldn't let this happen. Well, that's a complete misunderstanding of the world that we live in. God didn't promise to remove you from trials. He promised to keep you through them. Is that right? And remember, most of the problems we have, most of the problems we have are the results of our own decisions. Is that fair? How many of you would agree with that? Most of the stress, I, I was driving home the other day, or, or Jacob and I were driving to get our hair cut, and we don't share hair. We were both going to get a haircut. And it, it had been a stressful week. You know, I was gone to the pastor's fellowship, then we had the Bible conference, and a bunch of things going on this week, and my stress level was high. And so I was telling, I wanted to make sure that Jacob understood this. Jacob, things have been tough this week, but it's not because the ministry is too hard. It's not because I don't like the ministry or the ministry is bad. It's because I don't schedule well enough. Things are hard because I have made things hard in my life, 
and I schedule things in such a way that we do everything at the same time, and then something else happens, and all of a sudden there's not enough time to do everything that I have scheduled. Well, who scheduled it? I did. Whose fault is it? God, how could you let this happen? And I, I can just hear God saying, don't you have a calendar? What's wrong with you? So a lot of the trouble that we have in our lives, we bring on ourselves. Would you all agree with that? But there are some things that come into our lives that are simply the result of living in a fallen world. If you get cancer, it's not because God hates you. It's because sin entered into the world and death by sin. So there's cancer in this world. Is that right? And so if you, how many of you actually live in this world? Right? Some of you aren't sure. I can help you do some counseling later. If you live in this world, then you are subject to the frailties of this world. If, if someone breaks into your house and steals something, that's because you live in a fallen world, not because God hates you. Is that right? And then the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. How many of you know someone, either in your family or someone close to you, that has gotten cancer? Just about everybody. So does God hate everybody that gets cancer? Or is cancer a part of this fallen world? Cancer is a part of this fallen world. Can God cure cancer? Can God heal cancer? Yes. Does He always heal cancer? No. Ultimately, yes. Eventually, you'll have a new body. Right? You may die first. What was it the guy said? I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> but I can promise you this. Eventually, if you're a believer, you'll get a new body. If you're not a believer... Uh, then you're, you're, that body is going to go into hell and be tormented forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hell, and then that hell is cast into the lake of fire, and it's just there forever, forever and ever and ever. But people misunderstand the purpose of trials. Then, others lack assurance because they do not know and obey the Word of God, and then they fail to walk in the Spirit. And what happens when you fail to walk in the Spirit is that you can't hear the Spirit assuring you that you're the child of God. Look at, look at Romans chapter 8. I'll show you this. <coughs> How many of you can tell that we're probably not going to get to those things that we can know this morning? You have to get to those things that we can know tonight. How many of you are getting nervous about that? All right, got the roast in the oven. Um, look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. But I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. In us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. So everybody who is saved recognizes that they need that new body. But what happens when you're walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is telling you, hey, you're the Son of God. You're a son of God. You have hope. You're going to get that new body. You have the expectation that this is not the end. You have that hope. And look at that next verse, verse 24. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So what happens is when you're living in sin... When you're walking in the flesh, you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. You're not, let me, that's all spiritual language. Let's get down to, to language that we understand. When you're not doing the things that you know you're supposed to do, well, then all of a sudden you start questioning your salvation. Why? Because when you grieve the Holy Spirit by your behavior, then you can't hear His voice. Is that clear in the Scriptures? That's clear, isn't it? And so people begin questioning whether or not they're saved because they're not living like a believer and they can't hear from God and they don't receive the comfort that comes from that full assurance of knowing that you're a child of God. So what's the answer? What's the answer to that? It's very simple. Confess your sin to God. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Begin walking in the Spirit. And what happens? All of a sudden, you have that communication is back open with, between you and God. And then you're encouraged and you're helped and you're secure and you're happy. Praise the Lord. Then, some people lack assurance because they are sinning willfully. Now, you say, what's the difference between that and what you were just talking about? Well, what I was just talking about is how if you've gotten through the day and you realize you, you hadn't prayed all day and you may have been in a bad mood all day, you know, you're struggling at work and all of those things, well, that is walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. Sinning willfully would be a, a, a man who knows better going and saying, well, I'm just going to look at pornography. It's what I'm going to do. That's sinning willfully. That's sinning willfully. Having an, having an affair. A lady who says, I'm tired of uh, my life. I'm tired of God's order. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know that I know what God says about, about the home. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. A young person who says, I'm tired of rules. I like the young man who said that he's tired of being told what to do, so he joined the Marine Corps. Do you guys know that really happens? I promise that really happens. <laughs> Just think about that for a minute. That's awesome. Now look, those folks who are choosing to do something contrary, clearly contrary to what God wants them to do, sometimes those folks get to the place where, oh, I don't know that I'm saved. I've had folks come to me and say, Pastor, I need to get saved. I've got this struggle. If you have something like that in your life, you need to get it right because it'll destroy you. 
it will destroy you. But some people lack assurance because they are sinning willfully. So what's the answer? What's the answer to all of this? Go to Romans chapter 8. You might still be there. Look at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, now let's just stop right there. Can somebody say amen? amen. Let's, let's just read that first part out loud together. Let's do that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, how do you get in Christ Jesus? Ephesians 1 tells us you trust in Christ. You hear the gospel, you believe the gospel, and you trust in Him. You confess your sin and you believe and receive the gift of eternal life. When you receive the gift of eternal life, uh, I, I love the way that it says it in, book, in, in the book of Acts, repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. You have violated the holiness of God and so you repent of that and you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for your sin. When that happens, the Holy Spirit places you in Christ. So if you are in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. The Holy Spirit places you in Christ if you're saved. Amen? Everybody that's saved is in Christ. Let me try that again. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. You're not going to be condemned for your sin. I don't think that we're getting that yet. If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. The reason that's so awesome is you deserve to be condemned. And so do I. We deserve death. But we're not going to get that. God's not going to make your life miserable. God doesn't do that to believers. We don't have a vindictive God. Well, if you don't give, God's going to destroy your life. No. No, if you don't give, he'll just know you don't love him. Is that right? It's amazing the things we get amens on here. <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, if you're not giving, God knows you don't love him. That's what grace giving is about. You give because you love him. That's, that's what's behind it. That's why you give. You don't give so you can go to heaven. God doesn't need your money. I do. <laughs> All of those things, you're not under condemnation. I don't, try, I don't try to live a holy life so that God, to keep God from condemning me. I live a holy life because I love Him and He's told me to and then He's given me the ability to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know somebody's out there thinking, do you think you're living a holy life? I know. But I attempt to. Right? And so this, this becomes very important. The answer to all of that trouble with assurance is walking in the Spirit. Look at Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me, what? Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son 
in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So what does this mean? You might be sitting there thinking, well, that means I've got to walk in the flesh to not be... I've got to walk in the Spirit to not be condemned. No, 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 no. No. You can't walk in the Spirit unless there's no condemnation. So since there's no condemnation, I'm free to walk in the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? You can still fulfill the lust of the flesh, and if you fulfill the lust of the flesh, then you will bear in your body and in your life the results of that sin. That's not the condemnation of God. If I pick up a hot iron and put it on my forehead, okay, there's a consequence for that behavior. Right? What is that consequence? I mean, I have little dots all over my... Right? Freezer. No, it's not freezer burn. Someone help this young man, please. Hot iron, freezer burn. Oh, my goodness. Okay? What is that? That's the consequence of my behavior. If, if, if as a pastor, I go out and get drunk and, and behave immorally, what is the penalty for that? You all would forgive me, right? I could still be your pastor. <laughs> See ya. There's such grace in this church. No, I would. the result of that would be I would lose my livelihood. Right? Is that God judging me? No, that's the result of my behavior. Is that the condemnation of God? No. Young people, you go and you, you do stuff that you're not supposed to do and you do something stupid, you can still die. Jesus will love you while you die. Amen? So don't do something stupid. That's the idea of walking in the Spirit. That's not the condemnation of God. But if you walk in the Spirit, now all of a sudden you, you realize the blessings and the benefits of fitting into God's plan. Wow, what joy there is in that. What joy there is in that. How many of you would you be honest and say you had a hard week? Would you raise your hand? It was a tough week. Okay? It's a tough week. Do you think it's better to go through that tough week in the spirit or in the flesh? In the spirit. I want to ask you how you did. Okay? As long as you don't ask me how I did. All right? Um, none of that has anything to do with whether or not God loves you. If you walk through that hard week in the spirit, you get to the end of it and you say, I can really see the hand of God in this. You walk through it in the flesh and you look back and say, I can't believe I did that. Why did I say that? Why did I respond that way? Why did I get so mad? Why was I so discouraged? Why did I get so disappointed? You see? And it doesn't matter. If you're saved, it doesn't matter whether you walk in the spirit or in the flesh through that situation. You're still saved. God doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't love you any less, whichever group you're in. Is that right? Is that, is that clear in the Scriptures? Yes. The issue is, am I going to know the blessing of God and the assurance of God through that time, or am I going to know the weakness and frailty of the flesh through that time? So what's the answer? What's the answer to those who need to engage assurance? Number one, are you saved? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life? Look, you say, I was raised Catholic. I was baptized as a baby. 
That's not the question I asked you. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life? That's not a Baptist or Catholic question. That's not a Baptist or Methodist or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. It's not a religious question. It's a scriptural question. Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life? If you haven't, you do, don't, please don't think that you have assurance of salvation. You have assurance of condemnation. The Bible says that you're condemned already. Not that you will be condemned. You're already condemned to hell. What's the answer? Get saved. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the first group. The second group, if you are saved, you have placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your eternal life, and you don't have assurance, walk in the Spirit. Could be you have a wrong theology. If you have a wrong theology, walk in the Spirit and submit to the Scriptures. Recognize that you can't participate in your own salvation. That's why Jesus Christ did it. Amen? Secondly, make sure that you don't have unconfessed sin in your life. Thirdly, make sure that you don't have willful sin in your life. Amen? Amen. God wants you to have the assurance, the full assurance of your salvation. He wants you to have joy in the Lord. Let's finish up with, a, with Galatians chapter 5. We read this in Sunday school. Look at verse 16. Galatians 5:16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against lust, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Now look at what the Bible says. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, they're plain, they're evident. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So now, I've got to tell you something about this text. I've got to tell you something about this that a lot of people misunderstand. Okay? How many people do we have in here? How many of you, you're a people? Okay? Potential people down here on the front row. But. Okay, now look. You're people. That means that if you're saved, that you have the potential for either list. It's not that lost people have the first list, and saved people have the second list. Here's where people get confused. Look at the end of verse 21. Uh, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see that? And so people think that only lost people do that. No, 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 no. According to Romans chapter 7, 
And according to 1 John chapter 3, your new man, the new man that comes in you when you get saved, does not sin. Your old man can do all of these things. The good news is the old man doesn't go to heaven. The new man does. You see, there's the confusion. There's the confusion. People that think that your behavior determines whether or not you go to heaven. No, no, no. You have a new man and an old man. And they war with each other. It says it right here in this text. Look what it says in verse 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these, look, it doesn't say were contrary. It says, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The issue is, are you led by your flesh or are you led by your spirit? If you're saved, you have that war going on in your flesh. And if you yield to the flesh, you'll fulfill the first list. If you yield to the spirit, you get to experience the second list. Where do you want to live? Which list do you want to live in? In which list do you think you find assurance? You see? It's so important that you see this. In my flesh, there's nothing good. In my flesh, I could do any of these things. In the Spirit, I get love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Praise the Lord. I think maybe I probably ought to walk in the Spirit. I think that would be a good idea. Engage assurance. Engage assurance. Shore up your weak thinking, your erroneous thinking with the Word of God. I need to shore up my weak thinking, my erroneous thinking with the Word of God and walk in the Spirit. Then you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have the full assurance of faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word.